Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Hey, listen, we just got finished at Bourbon, Missouri, the meetup, and it was incredible. And uh, we're going to be airing next week that episode. It was a Q&A, just an awesome opportunity with a lot of our folks there at uh, the meetup in Bourbon, Missouri. So we're excited for you to hear that one. I'm excited about today's episode. And uh, Brian, Nate, y'all want to tell us a little bit about today? Well, today's going to be a sermon by Josh Combs. Uh, Josh has become a great friend of mine. Uh, he's a he's a man of great integrity. He's a student of God's word. Uh, by the way, guys, he can also take you to this little restaurant that has the best Reuben sandwich in the history of the world, hands down. I love Reuben's. Oh, this one is so next level, Nathan. I can't even describe it. But Josh is also a real dude. Uh, the first time he ever picked me up in one of his vehicles. It was a minivan. It was covered in mud from front to back. <laughs> I thought, who had who off-roads in a minivan? But then I went to his house and realized it was his driveway. He lives about six miles down a dirt road on a farm. His entire family, the kids, they're beautiful. Uh, his wife, they love Jesus. And just being around them as a family was a great testimony to this man. That's awesome. We really enjoyed meeting him in Michigan and hanging out with him. Uh, we'd hoped to get a little bit more time with him, but we had to fly out early the next morning and we missed the lunch. But yeah. this sermon, this talk that he gave in Michigan was straight fire. The dude understands our background. He understands yeah, he the does. people of the RFP. And if some of you just flipped a switch and said, I'm not listening to a sermon because a sermon is not a podcast, you need to listen to this because yes. this is continuing our gospel series. That's actually the reason we decided yeah. to do this was because it was such a strong gospel presentation. And he has an illustration, a story in this that absolutely blew me away. So you've got to listen to it. It'll help you. Isn't it just like us to play a sermon after everybody complained how sermons aren't episodes? <laughs> <laughs> just like about say how we... Our intro's too long. Oh, well, here you go. <laughs> there you go. I love it. You know, one of the things that I loved about this sermon was before that, the worship was incredible. There's a girl by the name of Genevieve Linkowski, and oh, yeah. she absolutely killed it on worship. She was on American Idol. That's RFP fam on American Idol. Um, I don't think sometimes what we realize is how broad our RFP fam is. And uh, we've got some really talented people that are part of this community. I want to give a shout out to the Irwins, Keith and Katie. They're always texting me that when they get on the bus, they're listening to the RFP. You got Ben James who sings with Dole Lawson and Quicksilver. Brian, he said your breakdown of that bluegrass song a few weeks ago was incredible. I don't remember what it was. What was I the breakdown? Maggie, Do you remember? I think it was little Maggie. Maggie. Little Maggie, that's it. But he he's a big fan of the podcast. And I tell you what, we've got incredibly talented Shout people that are part the of Ball the Shout out to the Ball Brothers. Love the Ball yeah. Brothers. Those guys are awesome. Chad, man, they're so they're so cool. They're good yeah. guys. You got that that one dude that in Nashville that wrote that Mary song. Uh, what's his name? Mark um, uh, Lowry. Yeah, La Lowry. Yeah, he's yeah, part Mark of Lowry. it. I mean, <laughs> when you think about it, though, you've got influencers. You've got people that are documentary. Uh, they're filmmakers out here. Uh, 
pastors, missionaries, teachers, evangelists. Um, you got people in the business world that are doing incredible things. I love watching the RFP fam and how broad it is, but all of us are united in our stories, intersecting with God's stories, creating something incredible. Yeah, when I got a text the other day saying that Chris Tomlin was listening to the debate, it absolutely yeah. blew my mind. Hey, Chris. <laughs> yeah, we we need to get him on. Uh, we need to get him on an episode, man. Chris Tomlin yes, we do. needs to come on the RFP for an interview. Yeah, he does. And tell the story behind how great is our God, a song that has changed the world in a lot of ways. Is it in Baptist hymn books yet? It, it has be. to be. I wonder. Hey, you know who else grew up independent fundamental Baptist that we need to reach out to? Lecrae. Dude, I love Did Lecrae. you know that guy grew up independent fundamental Baptist? He talks about it in one of his songs. Hey, if you know Lecrae, get him on here. We'll, we'll reach out to Lecrae and get him on the RFP. Hey, I'm excited about today's message episode. It's number three in our series on the gospel, and it's going to be straight fire. Y'all ready to get this started? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's go. The Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast begins in three. These podcasts, <laughs> podcasts, that sounds like a convention of beans or peas to me. I'm podcast. Listen, in these recovering fundamentalists, they don't know the Bible either. What are the fundamentals? Inerrancy, virgin birth of Jesus Christ, Amen. substitutionary atonement, Amen. bodily resurrection Amen. of Christ, and the authenticity of miracles. Hi, man! Two. I am not a recovering fundamentalist. They're everywhere. They're all over the internet. They want to be, uh, what do they call it? Recovering from fundamentalism. They're everywhere. And I think to myself, well, you were just stupid to begin with. And if there's such a word, you're stupider now. We ain't recovering from nothing good, neighbor. We're reviving from the Holy Ghost. Somebody say man rapture! Everybody wants to focus on recovering. Oh, you're recovering. Oh, you need yeah. help. You need therapy. You're recovering. Let's focus on fundamentalists. We're recovering fundamentalism back from people who have hijacked it. We are biblical True. family. We are the fundamentalists. Man. That'll make a Baptist want to speak in tongues right there, boys. One. I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, we better stay uh, in the old paths. But what are the old paths? I've heard that my whole life, and nobody's ever been able to tell me what the old paths or the old-time religion really is because it's whatever era you mm -hmm. overly romanticize in your mind as being when the church was it, right. Mm. Like it, lump it, pump it, jump it, take it across the street and dump it. We've raised a generation that is ashamed of our forefathers and act like they were somehow done wrong in the way they were brought up and they were damaged and they were scarred because they were raised in a home that had standards and convictions and kept them on the old time way. You got their number, boys. Y'all thought you started the podcast. You went and started a movement. Thanks for joining us for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Make sure to stay tuned at the end of the show to hear more about the RFP sponsors. Now, here's your host for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, Nathan Cravat, J.C. Groves, and Brian Edwards. 
Evening, everybody. It's great to see you tonight. It's great to be with you. And uh, I want to thank Brian for the privilege of just opening the Word of God with you tonight. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to pull that out tonight and open it up to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can. we certainly all have smartphones, so thankful for that technological advantage that we have. We can open the Word of God together, but uh, it is great to see you tonight. Uh, my name is uh, Josh Combs. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, one of our locations, I preach up in Goodrich, so about 30 minutes north of here, so it's nice to be here tonight uh, celebrating with you. I was introduced to the RFP Gosh, a year or so ago, maybe pre-COVID, and my buddies texted me and said, hey, you need to listen to this guy named Colonel Nathan Rager. And I was like, what? So I get this text, and I'm like, some military guy or something like that, and I had no idea what I was in for. And uh, that introduced me to... Uh, my first podcast, so the first podcast that I ever got into, and I'm not super tech savvy at all, and uh, so I have really been blessed. Uh, Brian and I have become friends, and I just was texting him today, uh, yelling at him in text for not being here tonight, just so we could hang out, but uh, he came up back in May and uh, spoke at a men's event for us, and it was just a great privilege to spend time with he and Denise, and uh, just a just an instant bond in the Lord and uh, in history. Tonight, I want to open God's Word with you because, to me, one of the most important things that must transcend everything here tonight is that what unites us is the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, there is a danger that what we are against and what drives us crazy can unite us. Uh, and that is fallible, right? That, that is a fuel that doesn't last eternally. But we know that what brings us together is the good news of what Jesus did for us. That he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that he rose from the dead. And he offers to each one of us, if we're sitting here, we're watching online, he offers to us the forgiveness of our sins, the pardon of all of our sins, the hope of eternal life through his work. And that's what brings us together. That's what we sing about. That's what we celebrate together. And um, so I just want to open God's word with you tonight. I'm a long-winded preacher. And uh, so I just want to apologize ahead of time for that. I spoke about an hour and five minutes this last week at our church. And um, I will not do that to you tonight. Now, I say that, and I could be a complete liar. Uh, because even Ferd, our worship leader, said, dude, you're going to get into the word, and then it's just going to happen. So I, just, I need your grace, and I need your forgiveness. I'm also sweating like a televangelist right now. So it, it's really, really bad. I was texting our ops guy like, please, dude, give me some AC in this place. Well, let's pick up in God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to just share some things that I've been praying over the last few months. I feel like the Lord's really put on my heart. Scripture says this in verse number one, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul says, I who am humble and face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. Paul there is transitioning in the book of 2 Corinthians to address his opponents in the church at Corinth. And so chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, he is going to deal with some problems in the church at Corinth. He is going to address them 
uh, just head on. And here he is going to sarcastically seize the criticism, one of the criticisms that they have against Paul, that he gets owned when he's face-to-face by his opponents. And so he runs away like a coward, writes an angry, tearful letter, and then sends it with someone else. And so there's this criticism that Paul doesn't have the courage to really uh, have this continuity between what he writes and how he is in person. And so Paul says, I who am humble and face to face with you and bold toward you when I am away. It's down there in verse 10. You'll see the criticism. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his presence of or his speech of no account. So back to verse 2. Paul says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us as walking according to the flesh. Paul says, I want you to understand that I am emulating Christ. I'm emulating Christ in the sense that Christ in his first coming came and was gentle and meek and lowly. And he calls people to follow him. Yes, take up your cross and follow me. But he says, I will yoke up with you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so there's Jesus offering rest from all the religious rules. Well, these villains came into the church, as we're going to look at in a moment, and they began to enslave the Corinthians. And in doing so, they were, they were driving this wedge between God's man, the Apostle Paul, and, and his representation, his faithful representation of the gospel. And so Paul is saying, listen, how I was handling you is how Jesus handles all of us with gentleness and meekness. And he is appealing to us. Paul writes in Romans, the, the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance, And so Paul says, that's what I was doing with you. But it's come to a point now where the rubber's going to meet the road and I'm coming in and the villains of the church, the opponents of the gospel, the opponents of the genuine apostolic ministry, it's come to an end. And Paul says, judgment is coming. And I hope that you'll repent reading this letter. Titus delivered it with a couple other guys. I hope that you will repent in hearing this. Otherwise, when I get there, there is going to be some serious trouble. We're going to lay down the law. And so Paul starts there in verse 3 using some words that are real heavy. And if you grew up fundamental, if you grew up what I always call in the fundy world, and there's not a lot of fun in the fundy world, but if you grew up fundy, this verse here is going to appeal to something in us. And I don't know if that's all bad, to be really frank with you. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, Paul says, yeah, we're people. We go through struggles, we, we face sickness, we face hardship. Um, at the, in the book of Philippians, right, the, one of those verses that's incredibly taken out of context, I can do all things through Christ. Paul's talking about facing plenty and facing hungry and having all of these terrible things and great things happen. He's like, you know what? Christ sustains us. He is our joy in the midst of all of those things. Paul says we're in the flesh. We, we're human just like you. He says, but we are not waging war according to the flesh. And in those words, Paul is saying, when I show up to Corinth, I need you to understand that I am showing up as a warrior. He had talked to Timothy, you're you're a good soldier, you don't entangle yourself with the things of this world. He would seize on those military analogies and metaphors, Paul would often do that. Here he's saying, I'm coming to war. And he begins to lay out the opponent's And he begins to lay out the weapons of that warfare. Now, I want you to jump over to chapter 11 real quick and look at verse 20. 
Because I want to lay out the enemy that he's going after. In verse 20 there in chapter 11, Paul says, For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. Paul says, these leaders who have come in have struck you in the face, and, and you bear with it. They take advantage of you, they're devouring you, and they are enslaving you. Now, if you hold your spot there in 2 Corinthians and just jump over to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, you'll see very similar language. Paul is writing to a church that has been enslaved by the Judaizers. We, we would understand it as folks who are trying to take the gospel and then mash it up with the law and legalism as we know it. And so Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, because of the, the false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. They want to bring you into slavery. And so a lot of Bible scholars, commentators will say, we don't know exactly who the opponents were in 2 Corinthians, but they had to be very similar to the opponents in Galatians because they are identified in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as Hebrews, as Israelites from Abraham. So here they are coming from this law background. And Paul is saying they're coming into the church and their one motive is to bring slavery. They want to enslave you. They're going to shackle you up. They want to... Um, hit you in the face, they want to devour you, take advantage of you. And Paul says, there is a war at stake. There, there's a war in the church for this. Now we have to take the Bible and put it together, cohesive. Ephesians chapter 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against ruler of darkness, rulers of darkness in high places. Thank you, Awana, for teaching me that, right? And so we, we, we know those things. So what's Paul saying? He knows he's not going primarily to war against a, a human adversary. But there is a battle. There is a war that Paul is saying exists. And it's, it's an idea of doctrine. It's an idea of theology. It's an idea of the gospel. And what's happening is the Corinthian church has been enslaved. They've been enslaved by these ideas. I don't want to be degrading or mean or rude to anyone. But anything that adds to the gospel, the, the idea that Jesus says in John 3 of being born again, anything that adds to that is in opposition against the gospel. Anything that adds to that is enslaving people to something. And it's perverting what Paul warns about in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, in verse number 3. He said, I don't want you to be deceived like Eve. And that's not meant to be, you know, demeaning to women at all. He's just going back to uh, Genesis chapter 3. He says, I don't want your thoughts to be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He said, these guys have come in and they're perverting the gospel and they are leading you astray. They're leading you away in slavery. So how do we combat that? Because we can look at the church that's perverted by legalism, that, that is, you know, extra biblical standards. We hear that all the time on our favorite podcast, right? We, we hear that all the time. How do we combat that in the lives of other people? But here's the thing I want you to see. How do we combat that in our own lives? 
So most of you, I do not know. This may be the one time we get to hang out. I'm thankful for it. I grew up in this place. I met my wife down the hall, asked her out on our first date down the hall. We got married in here. I got saved in here. I got baptized in this building before it got remodeled like this. I got ordained in this room. So this is a very special place to me. But man, growing up, you didn't wear shorts in here. You didn't do that. You didn't wear hats. Like Ferd was wearing a hat tonight. I don't know how Jesus even heard his prayer through that hat. You know, it's like... It's just like this blockade. The Lord can't hear those things. You know, I'm the guy that pulls out of the drive-thru and has to close one eye for half credit for my prayer as I'm driving down the road, right? And you say, that's so silly. We've all done that because we have these rules and these regulations and this enslavement to things. You're like, oh my gosh, I am so weird. And you don't tell those people that, but then you start finding fellow people like that. And you're like, oh my gosh, you too? Oh, oh wow. Oh gosh, we're so whacked. What happened to us? Jesus, save us, right? Well, if we rewind the clock 2,000 years to Corinth, it was a little bit different version of legalism, but that's what was going to happen. And in Galatia and here in Corinth, there were teachers that were coming in to enslave the church. Enslave the church. They were doing what Jesus warned about in Matthew 15. They were teaching the commandments of men at the doctrines of God. They were making up things and they were teaching them with the same amount of passion and vigor that they were teaching the commandments of God. These teachers in Corinth, they are what Paul, or excuse me, what the prophet Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel 34. They were the shepherds that were not faithful to the sheep. They were barbecuing the sheep. They were devouring the sheep. It's the very words that we see Paul use there in 2 Corinthians 11. You bear with it, and they're taking advantage of you. They're devouring you. They're putting on airs. They're striking you. And all of these nonsensical things that we've heard in life, and then these things that we see on Twitter, it's just unbelievable. So Paul goes to war. He goes to war for people that he loves. Verse 4, look at the weapon. Verse 4. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, our warfare is not going to be great speeches. It's not going to be persuasive arguments. Sometimes we, we like to argue. I remember, you know, really seizing on that passage in 1 Peter 3 as a young man, always being ready to make a defense for the hope that is within you. And I put an ellipsis on the end of that and missed the next part of the verse, which says, but do so with gentleness and respect. So I just threw out the gentleness and respect and was like, I am defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. Totally missing the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. So we think like the Corinthians who were obsessed with physical appearance, presentation, rhetoric, argument, all of those things, oratory skills. Paul says, our weapons are not of the flesh. He, he showed up, and he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, when I showed up, I showed up in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Meaning he didn't fit the Corinthian mold of saying, I'm going to blow your minds with such, being such a good speaker. I'm going to convince you with my arguments, and I look the part. If you've ever read any of the descriptions of the Apostle Paul that come to us from centuries afterwards, he is not an impressive physical figure. He didn't fit the Greco-Roman mold. 
And so he was the exact weak vessel, the jar of clay that Paul would talk about in 2 Corinthians, that he was going to use to proclaim the gospel and to give birth to the church in Corinth. And so Paul says, listen, I'm showing up this time now for the third visit, and, and my weapons of warfare, you need to understand, I haven't been practicing my speech. I haven't been at the gym working out. Right? There's nothing wrong with working, at the, working out at the gym. There's nothing wrong with being a good speaker saying, but that's not what I'm relying on. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. They are ordained by the Lord to destroy strongholds. Now, Paul starts to draw this beautiful word picture that I love of a city that is being sieged. And so you have walls and you have strongholds. MacArthur talks about the fact that strongholds uh, is like a, a word for fortress. And then a fortress can become like a prison. And then the prison can actually turn into a tomb. And so there's this, this wall there to keep the enemy out. And then there's a fortress. There, there's, this, um, uh, there's this stronghold there. And then in verse number five, we see that there are towers. There are these towers. There is these last places that people are going to flee to. And so Paul paints his enemies. Paul paints the opposition as they have built these walls and they have their strongholds fortified and they have their towers built and they're hiding in there. And Paul says, when I show up, I am going to bring a weapon that is divine and it will destroy strongholds. Well, what's the weapon? The weapon, he's talked about it all the way back in 1 Corinthians. He said, listen, when I show up, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the gospel. He says, I didn't come to be impressive. I didn't come to blow your minds. He said, I wanted it to be in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, a transformation wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. Not some emotional argument, not some altar call that lasted forever, not something about the rapture might happen tonight and you'll be left behind and I'm going to freak you out, scare you to death and make you get saved again so I can pad numbers. And I'm sorry, that's all that bull crap we saw growing up. I remember a guy predicted the rapture and I was at camp and it was the night the rapture was going to happen. And some joker had the idea of playing hide and seek. I'm not making this up. Had the idea of playing hide and seek where the leaders were going to hide. Now, we all have this. Now, I'm not a pre-trib guy. Brian and I love each other because we're both like pre-wrath rapture guys. And so we, we enjoy that. But let's just say, let's say I'm wrong. We all have our person that if the rapture is going to happen, if they're still here, we didn't miss it. Because we know that person is safe for sure, right? Well, you take a camp of middle school and high school, rebellious little Christian school kids, and you hide all the leaders, people started having panic attacks. And it was funny at first until it was like, oh, crap. I was like, you've been left behind, right? I was singing the song in my head. I'm like, this is nuts. This is crazy. All those things to guilt and shame people and arm twist. And then what happens is, then we start to say things that Paul wouldn't say, Jesus wouldn't permit his servants to say, yeah, that young man over there got saved in my ministry, got saved under my preaching. Like, what? I led that person to Jesus. And what starts to happen is someone's faith rests on a person. 
some of you don't know my story, and I don't want to pick at scabs or be ridiculous, but my dad pastor here for 30 years in 2019, our elders had to fire him for adultery. It was shocking to me, the amount of people that called and said, is my marriage still real? He did our wedding. Do I need to get rebaptized? He baptized me. And what happens is, is if we are not careful, we can rest people's faith on us and not a movement of the Holy Spirit. And so what does Paul say the weapon is? Go back to verse 4. The weapon is the gospel. The weapon is the pure proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And what does that do? That destroys strongholds. That pierces through people's walls. That pierces through self-deception. Right? We all get worried that someday... You know, I, I don't worry about it anymore because I'm thankful for the faith that Jesus has given me. But man, when you're a kid and you hear Matthew chapter 7 and many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's the scariest verse in the entire Bible. But what is Jesus saying? You can build a wall of an argument. You can bury yourself in a fortress of self-righteousness. You can build these strongholds. And the only thing that pierces through that into people's hearts is a faithful proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection for Jesus as the only thing that saves people, as the only thing that justifies someone before Almighty God, is the only thing that sanctifies. That's what pierces through the walls. That's what breaks through strongholds. It's not going to be our argument. It's not going to be the power of persuasion. It's not going to be great presentations, or it's not going to be a, a, a wonderful speech that someone gives. It will be a faithful, weak even, presentation of the gospel. So that the power rests in God. It's a divine power to destroy strongholds. It destroys, Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Look at the, the visual. The invading army is the gospel. It's Jesus. And he bursts through the strongholds. And what do we do? We retreat to our towers. What are our towers? Our towers are impressive structures. Think about the stories we know from the Bible. Think about the Tower of Babel. What was it? It was raised in rebellion against God. Fast forward to another statue. We'll call it a tower. Nebuchadnezzar builds a giant tower, a giant statue. Please worship this. And if you don't, you're dead. We all know that story. What were those? Those were lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. You know what those are? Those are self-reliance. For so many of us, it's, it's the argument of Galatians. Galatians just blows my mind every time I read it because it is just, it is a wrecking ball against legalism. Paul says, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you? Who's enslaved you? Who's brought you and shackled you? You've begun by the Spirit and now you're going to be sanctified, perfected in the flesh? Like what? So what happens is we can be born again, 
and then still build these fortresses and walls and still build these towers of, 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 of congratulating ourselves. And what do we have to do? We have to come again to the gospel and say, Lord, what broke me out originally and justified me before a holy God was the completed work of Jesus. And what will sustain me through life, what will sanctify me through life is still the gospel. How crazy is it that growing up, you would hear the gospel and be like, well, I don't, I, can, I don't have to pay attention anymore. That's for lost people here. That was such a revolutionary moment in my life where I was like, oh, the gospel's being preached. I don't need to get born again, but I need to hear this again because it bursts through the barriers and the fortresses that I put up in my life, the arguments that I raise, the self-righteousness that I build before God. And what it does is God wrecks through those fortresses and he blows down those towers and he does this, which is so wonderful. He takes every thought captive to obey Christ. He brings me once again to that point of slavery to Christ where I belong to him. And he is the Lord and commander of my life. What is the weapon? The weapon is the gospel. And it is the continued faithful preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ so that people can continue to live in a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I don't know your background. I don't know where you come from. We can all share stories some that are funny and some that the older we get become less and less humorous all the time. I remember being at a camp. I didn't grow up going camp meetings. That was not my thing. But summer camp, like Christian summer camp, go away for a week. When I watched the movie A Week Away, my wife just laughed at me because she's like, this was your life every summer. And so I, I love camp. I remember sitting at a camp in the Upper Peninsula, fiery preacher. I don't know how he wore a suit in a non-AC chapel. It was just crazy. I remember he had this big old red coat. It was unbelievable. It looked like ketchup was the color. It was just crazy. Even as a high school kid, I'm like, all right, man. And uh, he, he, he preached. And I remember his opening illustration. And then the theme through his whole sermon was built around uh, a few lines of the movie Saving Private Ryan. So I just dated myself. So this was in the 90s. I remember him saying, you know, Tom Hanks is dying. He looks at Matt Damon's character and he, you know, they've rescued Matt Damon out of the war and they're going to send him home. His brothers had all died. And Tom Hanks like grabs onto him and says, earn this. And the whole sermon was Jesus from the cross gripping onto us and saying, earn this. And here I was as a 17-year-old kid, like, okay, all right. So for years, what do we try to do? Earn this. We try to be good enough. But then our hearts outside of Christ are desperately wicked. There's the King James for you. Who can know it? broken and so when we're not good enough we conceal it we hide it and we start building beautiful fortresses what did jesus say just follow the i love macarthur's quote about this the logic of a, a fortress to a prison to a tomb 
What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 23 to the Pharisees? He says, you're whitewashed tombs. You look wonderful on the outside. Inside, there's just rotting corpses, bones. There's still a dead corpse inside. And so what we do so often is we, we embrace we embrace the slavery that teachers will come in and give. And we so quickly abandon the gospel. Can I tell you, wherever your story sits, you need to over and over again be sitting under faithful preaching of the gospel, reading the gospel, singing about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You need to be sharing the gospel, watching the gospel transform people's lives as a reminder, as a, as a just a, a bulldozer that comes through and once again pulls down those barriers, pulls down those fortresses, knocks down those towers, because what do we do? We are so proficient and efficient at building those things so quickly and trying to impress God. And who are we keeping out? The good news of Jesus. You, you just stay right there, God. I, I'll, I'm going I'm to impress you again this time. And then our hearts are desperately wicked and broken, and we need to come back to the grace and mercy of Jesus and his completed his completed work on the cross for the justification of our soul, for the sanctification of our soul. One day when we die, the glorification. We need to come back to the gospel over and over and over and over and over again because it is the only weapon that pierces through my self-deception. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick. I always thought it was fast, right? It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? It pierces through all of my pretentiousness. It pierces through all of the facades. It goes right to the heart of the matter. The truth of the gospel is what we need to come back to. Can I tell you what will rescue our friends, our family, and people enslaved in legalism? It will be faithful proclamation from you and I of the gospel. Philippians says, right, living a life worthy of the gospel, bringing people back to that. That's what Paul does in Galatians. We could preach the whole book tonight, which I won't. I want to, but I won't. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Jesus did that for us, and he did it through his work on the cross and his resurrection. We need to come back to it over and over again. That's the weapon. It's not going to be mockery. And it's not going to be snarky rebuttals. It's not going to be those things. It's going to be faithful proclamation of the truth of the gospel. Holding up Jesus. I mean, what is an amazing truth that Jesus said? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Let's pray together, okay? Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, I have built so many what I thought were beautiful fortresses and towers of self-righteousness. And God, I thank you for wrecking those over and over and over again. I thank you, God, for rescuing me from self-deception. 
God, there are people that we love that are enslaved to man-made rules. And I pray, God, that you would use us to live lives worthy of the gospel, that they would see our example, that they would hear the truth of who you are. And God, you would rescue churches and pastors and missionaries, people that are enslaved to a law-based legalism that we're going to impress you, that we're going to earn your love and your affection. God, what mows that fortress, what pulls that tower down every time in my life is the cross. God, when you say it is finished, when you are forsaken so that I can be accepted. You became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You plunged into darkness, Lord, so that we could walk in the light. That is, you are worthy. We are not. You are worthy to open the scroll. You are worthy. You are holy and righteous, God, and we exalt you. And God, I pray in my own life and in the lives of people here, those that are watching online, you would pull those fortresses down. You would destroy those towers. And once again, God, you would bring us captive to the obedience of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.